0: back to the Segment Tips podcast, everybody. It's a little bit quieter than last time uh, I opened this one up. Also, uh, this isn't Ian with his terrible American accent. This is actually Kaylee Fretz, and we're back. It is, what day is it? It's Tuesday after the World Championships, and so this is our this is our World's Roundup pod. We got lots to talk about because we haven't talked about the men's race yet. We haven't talked about some of the stuff that happened throughout the week. We haven't talked about Matthew Vanderpoel and all the craziness that went down. Uh, over the course of about 48 hours of that story. So we're going to talk about all of that today, plus maybe a couple awards. Maybe we'll award some things. Uh, that'll be at the end of the show. We are, I should say I am, still in Australia, down in Melbourne now, which is home to Cycling Tips HQ and a number of our Aussie staff, which is mostly the same folks that were in Wollongong last week. Joining me today, Lane Trelawor. Hello, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Do you have a credential? Uh, no.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't have thought so, mate. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the kind of thing I'd do.
0: <laughs> Just a quick credential update, of course. Uh, that's a, that answer is no. Uh, we did appreciate all of our, you know, I know, I know there are some other folks in the sort of medium, media and journalism space out there that listen to this podcast that. Uh, have talked about this publicly, and we'd like to thank them for their support in this. I think one of the things that the UCI perhaps forgot is that reporters are going to stick together on stuff like this, (laughs) uh, and we have very large megaphones between all of us, and that has worked out not so much in their favor. Also joining me today, Matt Deneef. How are you, Matt? I am very well, thank you. I'm very excited to be recording a podcast less than a kilometer from my
2: house, which is... Which that way, just over that way, just over that way. Where where are we? Uh, Why don't don't you set the scene for us? Yeah, so we are in lovely Ringwood, which is in the the foothills of the Dayong Ranges. Which, as any Melbourne cyclist will tell you, is the best place to ride around Melbourne. Um, We're sitting in a hotel bar, having a beverage and
0: a chat about some bicycle cycling. What hotel are we in? I have no idea. we don't need to Is give this, this. sponsored by? <laughs> no, we don't need to give this many. I, I just, I changed my mind. <laughs> they charged us for the beers. Uh, it's As like they we should, we are not guests.
1: <laughs> what were you expecting?
0: <laughs> Walk into a lobby, record a podcast, get free beers and leave. That sounds ideal, actually. Uh, speaking of sponsorships, we do have a sponsor of today's episode. And to read today's sponsor read, Uh, we've got Andy Van Bergen because we brought him all the way along here. We had lunch and now he has to sit here and, I don't know, just wait while we
3: make this podcast. So we thought we'd give him something to do. And here it is. Actually trying to sit here and work, but got collared into reading this. Um, Obviously, we've all heard of Peaks Challenge before and we know that it's a big day in the saddle. But have you ever wondered if you could tackle the infamous loop featuring three key climbs up Tawonga Gap, Mount Hotham, and the back of Falls Creek? Bicycle Network is working hard to address the gender imbalance in cycling, and we want as many women as possible to experience the feeling of crossing the Peaks Challenge finish line on Sunday, the 12th of March, 2023. To help you get there, they'll be running tailored events and training rides that are designed to support women who want to give Peaks Challenge a crack. Not to mention, you'll be riding some of Victoria's best alpine climbs on closed roads and with full on-road support by Bicycle Network. Visit peakschallenge.com.au to learn more. Early bird tickets are now open. Sign up using promo code Cycling Tips to save an extra 5% on entry. This is uh,
1: quite surreal because I used to work for Bicycle Network and I've ridden that event four times, I think. It
2: is a good event. Uh, It's very hard. It is both those things. Can we also just give a shout-out to Andy for the perfect first take ad read? That was sensational. (laughs) Absolute pro.
0: (laughs) Superb work, thank you very much, Andy. Uh, Ian, tell me more about Pig's Challenge. This is a—they're uh, oh, really getting their value. They money, really, they? yeah. We're we're doing some value add on this on this particular okay, one. Okay, so uh, I'm uh, I'm just genuinely intrigued because it's uh I did I I as someone who does not live here. In fact, I live almost as far away as it's possible to live. I had never uh, heard of it before. Uh, so it's in
1: I can't remember exactly what the ad said because I wasn't paying that close attention. But (laughs) apologies if I'm duplicating it. There's uh, Mount Hotham, there's Twonga Gap, and the back of Falls, which is a bit of a prick of a climb, Mm. if I was to editorialize. It is 235 kilometers, over 4,000 meters of climbing, big old day in the saddle, and a 13-hour cutoff. So the fast people, for example, our mate, Dan Bonello, uh, I think he finished second- a few years ago with a uh, sub eight hour time. Malta's world champ. Uh, champ, champ D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas plebs like me take a bit
2: longer to get her out. But yeah, it's it's good. It's beautiful. That's one of the best feelings I've ever had in cycling is getting to the top of that final climb, seeing the Falls Creek Village at the top and rolling down to the finish after 200 and however many kilometres of a really hard day. It's, yeah, it is a very, very good event. It's also a loop. So you, uh, you were don't need to
1: transfer anywhere. You arrive back at the village where you are staying and where you depart from, which makes it logistically less complicated. This really sounds like we're going in for a hard sell. It's just, <laughs> it's just uh, really nice to um, have an ad from something that we've heard of, as opposed to, hey, we've got nose plugs from <laughs> Pato's
3: <laughs> nose plug shop,
0: or whatever. <laughs> I feel like most of our sponsor reads are our companies we've heard of. There have been some notable exceptions. We did a bone broth one at the start of the Tour de France a couple of years ago. Uh, we've told our sales team that perhaps not bone broth, again... <laughs> But this one is good. And I was just genuinely intrigued by, by the event. It sounds difficult and it sounds great that they're doing all these build-up events.
3: I think the thing, um, like I obviously just read this for the first time now, but when they talk about uh, addressing gender imbalance, they are serious about that. Um, something that's been fantastic over the years, they've run specific women's events. Um, so it's not just a token line. It's really great to see new ceo as well a uh, female ceo of We've gone too far.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> let's get into the politics of the board.
0: <laughs> uh I apologize to those of you who don't live anywhere near here and don't care about any of the last couple minutes but yeah sounds great. Anyway, let's get back into the world championships. We have a fair amount to talk about. Um like I said, we're going to talk about the men's road race and Remco Van and Matthew Van der Poel and all of the crazy things that happened over the course of about 48 hours there. We will update you on all of these things. But first and foremost, uh, you two, you are Australian. And this was a world championships in Australia. I I remember having the Worlds in Richmond, Virginia and what that felt like as an American. It was pretty cool. So my, my first question is to both of you, uh, which is just like, what did you think of it? What, 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 a successful thing? Something you, that you feel proud of? Do you bleed the green and gold? Yellow? Gold. Uh, gold. Gold place. After that week? Uh, yeah, I think it was pretty cool. I I know that
1: from having spoken to a lot of listeners and friends of the podcast up around Wollongong, how much it meant to them. And that, that was something that really reinforced to me the importance and the significance of the world championships in Wollongong. Uh, because it, it's people that, that live there, that love the riding around there, that live and breathe cycling and to have an event of this size as the UCI uh, in in their hometown is, is pretty spectacular. I think uh, for me personally, like it's a little bit removed because I've never been to Wollongong. So it was not um, in that sense, particularly different from traveling to a, another event, but with the with the remove of not having that like personal connection to Wollongong, it was very cool, and I I liked that there were things that happened at the event that seemed uniquely Australian, like magpies causing havoc, uh, yeah. Yeah. seagulls, that kind of thing. Like uh, I I think that added a distinctly Australian flavour to the event. <laughs>
0: Animal attacks, is Animal that attacks, what you're saying? <laughs> yeah?
1: But but it's different. It's different to races in in Europe, right? Like it's something that doesn't seem to happen.
0: No. Swear. No. And that's fun. That's us. <laughs>
2: we'll claim that. I was really happy to see how good the crowds were on the final day. I wrote earlier in the week that the response to the event coming to town was pretty mixed. And while there were some decent crowds for the first few days of the event, it really took off over the weekend. For the women's races on Saturday, even in the rain, there was quite a good crowd. And then Sunday, the weather was about as perfect as you could imagine for a bike race, and the crowds were amazing. Um, around the circuit, up on the Mount Kira climb, um, up on Raymar Avenue, uh, just genuinely big crowds for bike race, and it was really cool to see that. I, I think that that is one of the cool things. Having watched, been
1: been in Wollongong for the duration of the World Championships, seeing the way that the reception to the event changed over the course of that week. Uh, granted, the the races became more important as the the week went on, um, but I I think that you could kind of see the the local crowd start to twig that this was a world championships and this was a, an internationally- It's a big deal. Significant event. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas before it was just a, a cycling event or a cycle race or a, a UCI.
2: Yeah, I wrote earlier on that the significance of the event wasn't really communicated to people very well. So they mm. knew it was in a bike event, but they had no idea that it was a world championship. And I think, as Ian said, that became clear throughout the week and culminating this amazing
0: day on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you know if you don't follow cycling, you you maybe don't even really realize how big cycling is, right? And how important it is. Maybe not exactly where you live, but in other places in the world, and how it was a very big deal. And, and it was coming to their town. Yeah, I, I would agree. I definitely agree with that one. The um, obviously, I have uh, no direct connection to Wollongong or the area or the country, even. Uh, but I really loved. Uh, seeing all the CT fans out there. It was, it was the last time I was in Australia it was 2019, I think for tour down under. And, you know, we always wander around and we see, we see folks that listen to the podcast and they see, they come and say hi. And that's definitely a thing that happens. It happened about, I don't know, 10 times more last week than I've ever experienced before. And I just wanted to, to quick shout out to like everybody who came up and said, hi, uh, one, we forget that you're out there, yeah, right? like there there's tens of thousands of people that listen to this podcast, and we try not to think about that to be perfectly honest, when we're sitting here and we're making the podcast that we're that we're effectively sitting in the middle of a stadium, right? That's a little bit uh, daunting, so we just push it out of our heads. It's good to be reminded every once in a while that there are lots of folks out there that enjoy this podcast and that like what we do and we don't always get that feedback. And so it's just sort of a genuine thanks from, from myself and I'm I'm sure from you guys as well. Uh, Really the whole team at cycling tips for that Uh, you know, this is founded in Australia and we still, I think my uh, accent accepted, try to maintain that as best we can. Um, And so to come here and to chat with everybody and to get all that, positive response and have and have tons of people show up for those live shows that we did that was just really cool and I want to say thanks
1: yeah that was really cool that that was such a nice personal connection to our readers in a way that we don't and (laughs) listeners in a way that we don't often get
2: yeah I think earlier in the event we also had our comments go down the website and it's kind of related but that made me realize just uh, kind of reinforced me just how important that community connection is for us and absolutely Without that, it just feels like you're throwing stuff out into the void, and it kind of feels like there's no point, right? But when you have people coming up to you and saying they love you w- what we're doing or commenting on your articles that um beyond the simple validation, it's kind of just <laughs> nice to feel like you're doing something that's bigger than some words on a page or some you know an
0: audio file in a podcast, you know mm-hmm. absolutely. a couple specific shout outs uh, one to we believe our smallest listener. Uh, Gus, if you're out there, thank you for, for chasing us down on your bike and saying hi. I don't, don't know exactly how old you were. You looked like you were probably five or six. What do you think for Gus? I'll give him a five to eight. <laughs> <laughs> you had a helmet on. It was dark. We couldn't really tell. Uh, big shout out to Gus. Second shout out to Jess. Uh, Jess apparently falls asleep at night to my voice. Uh, So, so, you know, uh, if, uh, if Jess, if you need me to read the manual from my laptop that I've got with me or whatever, you just let me know. Uh, we, we do know your boyfriend quite well. And so we could probably, we can probably figure that out. Uh, we met tons and tons and tons of you last week. Those were two that stood out one because we thought, just falling asleep to my voice was hilarious. Uh, and to Gus, like I said, our smallest listener, we love the fact that we've got little kids listening to this podcast. Maybe we should swear less. Yeah, it's definitely a, a reminder to me that I should <laughs> just rein it in sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Uh, genuine, genuine, genuine thank you to everybody who came up and said hi. Um, we are planning on being at Tordon On Under with some other, some more live shows. And so if you are considering going to that event go to that event and, and come say hi uh, we don't know exactly where those are going to be yet we think we know but we're not it's not nailed down yet uh, but we will be there and so yeah come to Adelaide come to the reboot of Tour Down Under and we'll, we'll see you there let's get into the actual bike racing which we are now 13 minutes into this podcast and haven't actually talked about yet most of that was just talking about an event that none of these people have heard of or will ever ride <laughs> Let's, let's talk about the men's road race. Um, pretty exciting race in some ways. Mm. Uh, also less exciting because we could basically predict what was going to happen about 25 kilometers from the finish line. But a, regardless of your sort of excitement level, a hugely impressive ride. And one that shrugs off and shakes off, I think, quite a few demons for both Remco Even- Evenepoel and his Belgian team. So first and foremost, Matt, the basics. Who won the bike race and how did they get there? Yeah, so Remco, Venipaul, as you said, uh,
2: won the race solo. Um, He was part of a 25 rider move that got away with 77 Ks to go. And then he attacked from what was effectively that group with 35 Ks to go. Only Alexei Litsenko could follow him. And then about 10 Ks later, um, Venipaul decided or worked out that he was the stronger of the two and decided it was time that he went on his own. And he did, and that was it. And he ended up winning by more than two minutes um. Yeah. Just a very impressive performance. You say we could have picked it with 25k to go. I think it was almost clear from 75k to go that he was going to win because you looked at the composition of that front group, and it was basically a Venapol of the favourites that was in that group. And oh, he Roman had, Bardet. It's basically a Venapol of the favourites that was in that group, and most of his big contenders were very quickly more than two minutes behind. And you don't want to give a guy like Venapol. Two minutes advantage on a course like that, which is hilly. After he's just won the Vuelta, um, and a guy of his talent. So,
0: yeah, Joe Laverick did a nice piece, kind of breaking down exactly how it, how it, basically how Remco was able to kind of pull one over on on the rest of the of the peloton. And you're right, the mistakes that were made, the mistakes that were made, were made well away from the finish line, and we can. I've got Race Radios down on on the 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 run sheet today to talk about because I, I do think and and Joe made this point in his piece um I do think that with Race Radios is probably not allowed in that move yeah. or I should say that move isn't allowed to go anywhere with him in it yeah. right but essentially he was able to kind of hide and it's it's sort of worth kind of putting yourself in the shoes of the guys in the peloton right where yeah, we can see on television, obviously, Remco is in that group. But when you're in the peloton, you can only see a couple people in front of you. Maybe Remco's 15 riders in front of you, and you're like, is that him? I'm not sure. What color helmet did he have on? I don't remember. It's a little bit more chaotic when you're inside the field. And so not too surprising that even a little bit of hesitation there was enough to kind of let that that split happen. And then once that group had, what, two-plus minutes? What you're, even if you start to pull the group back, which they did, they pulled the group back to just over a minute on, on one of the climbs, Remco can still then take that minute advantage and and take advantage of it, which is exactly what he, what he ended up doing. So a bit of a mistake, I would say, from basically every other team, relying on the riders that they had in that move, the French in particular... Uh, When, in fact, it was pretty clear that Remco was going to be the strongest rider in that front group. And he'd barely done anything
2: to that point as well. You know, he looked like he was doing it easy to get into that front group of 25. And it was just a matter of time before he was just going to make his move. And and when he did, no one could do anything about it.
0: Yeah, and it comes a year after some mild controversy within the Belgian camp. Um, Some of you might recall that at, at Worlds in Flanders last year... Uh, the Belgians didn't win and that was kind of a big deal and a lot of that ended up being pinned on the fact that rather than sit with Watt van Aert and play Domestique Evenepol went and attacked a whole bunch of times in the end ineffectually and so wasted all of his energy and was dropped by the time the key moments were coming and Watt van Aert had nobody to, there to help him um, I shouldn't say nobody I think Stoivin was still up there but regardless there was some blame thrown around and particularly pointed at Remco for this there was apparently some sort of rift in the relationship between the two for a little while although it's hard to tell how much of that was just sort of media hype and how much of it was real but it, it appears that there was at least some of it was 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 somewhat real even even the um the press conference here was like a little bit weird between the two right Matt yeah yeah, so there were I
2: think Van Aert was asked about, you know, whether there was actual actual harmony in the team now after last year, and he said it's kind of like at a wedding when you have to say I do to the person you're marrying. <laughs> Which is a bit of a weird line, and maybe there's some kind of loss in translation stuff there, but it hinted at the fact that, yeah, they're probably still not the best of mates. Yeah. There's a significant thing last year was that it wasn't just that Ivanopoly seemingly rode against team orders. There was also that public spat in the media afterwards where Van came out and said, I could have won this race. And Van Aert was publicly saying, publicly criticizing Van in the media. And then you had Stuyven doing the same thing, yep. which is obviously a horrible look. But then in the context of all that and the disappointment of not winning at home and everything, for them then to bounce back this year made the win even more significant.
0: Yeah, and they, they
2: seemed genuinely happy.
1: I, I will say that uh, Van Aert said, "I cannot complain. We were on the race. I'm super happy with that." He described it as a perfect day, and although there was some uh, some Twitter commentary around perhaps Wout Van Aert not being super happy with with the result, um, I think that that was some selectively cut video uh, at the at the finish line. Wout was not not far behind, well in the next group, and went and gave him a big hug and was visibly excited. So I, I think that that's probably a little bit of a manufactured thing in the response post.
0: I also don't think it's surprising in the slightest that Wavanar is probably like, I wish I could have won that one. That's probably, <laughs> that, 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 that is an understandable reaction. Uh, and I think he can probably hold those two emotions in himself at the same time. One, being happy for his teammate, which he appears to genuinely be. I mean, we, we can't get inside his head, so who knows? But also being a little bit disappointed that it didn't work out in his favor because clearly the tactic was Remco's the early guy and Wout's the late guy. And so on either side of that coin, both of them are hoping that the tactic that works for them is the one that ends up working. And this time it ended up being the early guy. And not a whole lot Wout can do about that. He's not going to chase his own teammate down, but I'm sure that he looks at this course and thinks – if that move hadn't stuck, if the French hadn't pulled so hard in that front group, if the Germans had effectively pulled it back, I could have won that world championship. Like He will think about that, no question. The finale, though, ignoring, <laughs> ignoring Remco up the road by two minutes, the finale for the rest of the podium ended up being, one, pretty chaotic, and two, pretty unpredictable, and... In fact, both the riders in second and third said that they had no idea that they were actually sprinting for second and third. I'm sure they were hoping they were, but had no idea. The finale of this thing was, was came back together within the last kilometer, kilometer and a half, yeah, something like less that. Less than that, 500 meters. Yeah. It? Um, so it ended up being really exciting.
2: Yeah, so M- Michael Matthews, in his press conference afterwards, after he'd finished third, was basically saying that over the last climb, the group he was in, the main peloton, just kept catching riders, kept catching groups. They had no idea who was ahead of them, where they were finishing. And he just said that uh, he saw the French team lining up for Laporte and said, well, I I might as well be there and sprint as well. And being a home worlds, he wanted to do the best he could, whether that was 10th, 15th, 25th, whatever. And he crossed the line in what we know was third. And he had no idea where he'd finished. It was only later, a few minutes later, when someone said, oh, congratulations, you finished you know, third world championship. And Laporte was the same. Didn't know that he was sprinting for second. It was all very chaotic in the finish there, as you said. It almost looked like um Pascal Inkhorn was gonna do a Van Vluten for second with his kind late surge, but he was caught, Tratting was caught, then other group was caught. It all happened, you know, in the blink of an eye and um and ended up somehow finishing in that sprint, which was uh yeah, quite strange actually the way it finished up.
0: I, we mentioned race radios earlier as probably having uh, some role in pol getting into that big move and staying in that big move. Um, they probably also had a role in in that finale, right? Which, you know, one of the things that the race radios are used for is essentially just explaining the scenario, right? Like the directors can get in, in everybody's ear and say, there's six riders up the road, they got a minute, then there's two, and then there's one, and then there's you, Right. And they know what's going on. And that way the riders at the front of the peloton can just count them and say, well, we caught all eight or whatever it is. And they have some clue where they are on the road. Without race radios, we ended up with this, 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 this sort of more chaotic finale. But I'm not sure if it's a better finale, right? Like I, I would prefer coming into a finish like that, that Matthews knows what he's racing for. And, and I think that there is there's the argument that race radios make racing more exciting I don't think at this point holds a ton of water for me, uh, and I would almost prefer that it, it went back the other way, and, and then these teams could have radios in their ears.
2: I don't have any strong feelings about that, but it was different. It was an interesting finale the way it panned out. We wouldn't see that normally during the season. Um, the riders and worlds have you know time boards showing what the time gaps are, but it's very difficult when there's a group of one, a group of three, a group of six. A bunch of riders ahead, it's all coming together quickly in the finale. So very hard to keep track of that. I think it'll continue to be a debate every year, basically, at Worlds, whether we should have race rodeos or not. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the chaos in a way.
1: Yeah, chaos is good. It also underscores how valuable a rider with a lot of tactical nous or a, a slight remove from racing for positions, a guy like I like Heinrich Kassler, for example, from Australia, who's able to somewhat keep tabs on, on what's happening and where. Uh, and feed that back to his teammates, someone within the bunch. It um, yeah.
2: get, gets tricky if he's not up there though. Like in the end there, he was a long way off the back and we had probably 30 riders in front of him scattered all over the road. That, that's when it gets tricky, I suppose.
1: Yeah, true, true. I guess more in the early runnings.
0: Yeah. We'll leave that debate for now. We're not going to solve We're it. We're not going to solve it. As not we like to say here it. on the CT podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I just, I just don't love the idea of them not knowing what they're racing for. Like, could Matthews have gotten second if he knew? I don't know. Maybe. Would he have, would he have given it the extra 2% that it would have taken? Who knows? But, I don't, I don't yeah. It's not a whole lot of benefit. Anyway, let's move on, from, move on from race radios. Enough about race radios. We've got chaos and controversy to discuss. Uh, actually, no. Let's leave Vanderpool because, not leave it. We're going to talk about it in a second. But I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Remco Vanderpool and the sort of the context of this, this victory and this season. Like he's a, now, now a pretty incredible season. So Matt, what, what's, the, what's the tally at this point?
2: Yeah, let's, let's run some numbers to start with. So he is 22 years old. He now has 37 pro wins already. 15 of those have come this year and included in those 15 wins this year, are a Grand Tour in the Vuelta, a monument in Liège, and now a world championship. Winning all three of those in a career makes you a legend of the sport, an absolute great of the sport. That's in a career. Winning all those in one season when you're 22 is just simply incredible. Um, He kept saying in his press conference that he couldn't be more proud of how well he's raced this year. And, uh, you know, he's a guy with so much expectation on his shoulders over in Belgium in particular. And I think there would be a lot of satisfaction for him of what he's been able to do this year to kind of silence people. And we, sort of saw out the finish line with his salute. Um, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Just an incredible season from the guy. And um, just as a bit of a side note in his press conference, the guy's really grown up as well. He's only 22. He's, he's seemed reasonably immature at times, but this year he seemed like really good head on his shoulders, really grounded guy. And I was super impressed with him.
0: There's a fair amount of anti-Remco sentiment I would say, floating around, like even in our own comment section. And I'm not exactly sure where it comes from. Maybe it comes from sort of the way that things were handled at Worlds last year. Maybe it comes from just sort of a general cockiness that people are picking up on. I'm not really sure. Um, But as you say, he does seem to have, he seems more mature, at least in his dealings with the media than he was even like a year ago.
2: Yeah, I think it is a combination of a bit of cockiness when he was a little younger, you know, saying things like last year he could have won, which probably just don't need to really be saying that publicly. Um, there's probably a bit of tall poppy syndrome as well. You know, he's a guy who's so, so good, so young. I think people feel threatened by that, don't like that. I'm not quite sure, but I got the real sense that the last 12 months have really matured him as a person and... uh It's actually just a very likable guy who's making jokes in the press conference. Uh, I came away from that feeling much more keen on watching him ride and win bike races than I was before. If you've been built up by the media as being the next Eddie Merckx from the time that you're a
1: teenager, then I I think that uh, people are looking for reasons to prove that you're not.
0: Eddie Merckx himself said after Worlds on Sunday that uh, he deserves all the superlatives, is a paraphrase. From Eddie Uh, and and by that he basically means compare him to me all you want I think Uh, and frankly you know based on the on the Palmares so far pretty damn close right pretty damn close the thing about Eddie Merckx
1: is that he was never a Pizza Hut ambassador (laughs) that does set Remco apart yeah that sets him (laughs) apart other fun facts facts about Remco he He was
0: uh, a uh, a chip chip oil oil ambassador ambassador though
1: yeah. yeah, he likes his fries, but he, they need to be light. Um, other fun Remco facts at the Tour of Norway on stage one, or a stage that he won, he uh, stopped to urinate 10 to 15 times. That's a direct quote. Many on, times. On the way. Yeah. Sorry? I said many times. 10 to 15. Yeah. That is many. <laughs> it's <laughs> too many. Uh, and uh, he also uh, pretended to drink a non-alcoholic beer. So there are
0: three great reasons to love Remco Ibenepol, <laughs> even if... You're not a fan if he's racing. I think he's a worthy world champion. And I think one of the big things for me is I love it when the world champions rainbow Jersey is seen at the biggest, the front of the biggest bike races all year, right? That's why we love Dalla Philippe as a world champion, because he was also at the front of the tour de France, right? Maybe not every single day, but doing things all the time. Uh And if we're, if we're, potentially looking at a Remco run at the Tour de France next year, or even a Giro, whatever. It'll be cool to see the world champion Stripes duking it out with Tade Pogacar at the Tour de France. Like how, how cool would that be? That, that's, that's what I like to see from a world champ. Can I talk
1: Alaphilippe for a little bit? Sure. So Alaphilippe, uh, obviously champion the last two years. Uh, after the finish today, uh, today? Today's Tuesday. Two days ago. Two days ago, after the finish. He- time is difficult, mate. Time, time is up. difficult. Yeah. What is time? Uh, he seemed visibly relieved. He was very happy for Remco. Um, I, I think that it was a reinforcement of the fact that the national team dynamic is a bit of a weird one when there's people racing in trade teams for the rest of the year because Philippe was absolutely stoked for Remco and was celebrating and cheering with members of the Belgian Squad, who are probably quick-step employees the rest of the year. Um, so he was very happy and also very happy for Christophe Laporte for finishing second. Uh, it was a good day for, for Julian Alaphilippe, happy man. Happy
0: man. We finished, saw him being happy slightly later
1: than that. Yeah, we saw him with a big yellow bucket hat, just <laughs> um, riding, riding back to the hotel in a, a puffer jacket and a bucket hat, just stoked,
0: just having a great time. Stopped at the specialised spot, had a beer, took some selfies... Yeah, it's pretty cool. Having a grand old time. Yeah. I like Julian Alaphilippe. It's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah, and he came into this he came into this weekend essentially being honest. He was like, I feel pretty good, but not good enough probably to win a world championship." And that turned out to be the case. In the in the first year of being world champion for him, it seems that the
1: rainbow jersey was quite a heavyweight for him to bear and he almost didn't want to win it or didn't want to have a crack at it the second time around. Obviously, you know, you're not going to say no to winning the world championship, but, uh, but it seemed that he went into the, that race with an understanding that there is a certain burden to it. So it'll be interesting to see how Remco navigates that and also having his teammate uh, as the previous world champion to guide him through that process, perhaps.
0: That quick step team. Yeah, good bike racers. Pretty good Turns bike out. racers, yeah. Patrick Lefebvre. We may have some disagreements in some areas <laughs> but it's pretty good at building a bike racing team. <laughs> Can we also talk about the quality of the
1: top 10 in that yes. race? Yes. Because insane. it is it, it's just a bonkers top 10. Well, and
0: this and this points to you know anybody who listened to the episode from the live episode Saturday night, we talked quite a bit about how hard and selective and good this course was, which it did not look on paper like it was going to be this good, but this is proof. I mean, this top 10 is proof of just how good this bike, this course was. Yeah, you've got Evenapol, Laporte, Matthews, then Wout van Aert in fourth,
1: Matteo Trenton in fifth, uh, the Stavanger Stallion in sixth, Peter Sagan in seventh, good result for him, Betiol, Ethan Hayter, and Matthias Schellmuzer um, running out the top 10. So it's, it's a strong top
0: 10. Flanders winners, previous world champions... Stallions, well on Art. Stallions, <laughs> Tour, France France Tour of France, France Rising stage winners, stars. Yeah, solid, solid top ten. It's got it all going
1: on. And on the topic of Peter Sagan, uh, there was there was a big moment for Uraj. I, you I've since learned is pronounced Uri. Um He was in the breakaway for a lot of the race, which was very exciting, and then retired. Like, I can't top that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I mean, we don't keep. Incredibly close tabs on your Sagan. Speak for uh, yourself. <laughs> speaking for myself mostly, but we—I was not aware previously that he was planning to retire after this race. No, and, neither. And and he is—he's done. That was a good way to go out. I
1: I watched him like a bit of a creep from the other side of the barriers because what else was I supposed to do? And uh, for for somebody that is a member of the Peter Sagan entourage, he was uh like carrying wheels for the team, just like. Rolling with the wheels, back to the team bus or team—I don't know—Toyota Hiace or whatever it is. Um, and then at one point, uh, a f- photographer and friend, David Rome, was floating around looking for dogs to take pictures of or something. And <laughs> Yuri Sagan asked him for a picture. He—he he was just like, yeah, hey, can you like take a, a picture, signed of- picture of David Rome? That's what he wanted. No, <laughs> he wanted Dave to take a picture of him and his ah. friends just sitting on a curb or something. So I, I think that that's a nice sort of summary of the fact that he's been a, a helper for the team throughout his career and toiling in a little bit of anonymity throughout his career. Um, and then to finish his career, he got a cycling tips guy <laughs> to take a picture of him sitting on a
0: gutter. So uh, let's hear it for Uri Sagan. Absolutely. Well, sort of sort of the worst... Not the worst. The, maybe the most difficult type of anonymity, which is very public anonymity. Like, can you be a more public anonymous bike rider than your Sagan? The, the Casey Affleck of the peloton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like that. That's a, that's a hard thing to do, and he's navigated it well. Uh, and, and frankly, he's he's, he's mul- quite a decent bike rider. Too. Multiple times, Slovakian national champion. <laughs> right. Like just passing it back and forth between him and his brother, but still. So- Still, to be able to pass it back and forth, you have to be a pretty damn good bike racer. And, and I think a lot of people are like, ah, he's just a brother, you follow him around. But like, he's a, he's a perfectly adequate professional cyclist in his own right. Happens he was to just a fine be, cyclist. Yeah, just, just, just the brother of one of the greatest of all time. So let's, let's pivot to a hotel hallway. Uh, at about 11.30 at night, 12, midnight.
2: 10.30 maybe. 1030.
0: Looks like Ian's going to give us the exact Ian's time. Ian's going to give us the exact time. He's got that look okay. in his eyes. Yep. So, uh,
1: <laughs> room 930 of oh. the Brighton-Lisands Novotel on Saturday evening. Ooh. Matthew Vanderpool is staying in a room with his girlfriend, Roxanne Bertel. He's on a separate floor because he's got a cold. He's got some sniffles. Yeah. He's also arrived a little bit later than the others. Um. So he didn't want to disrupt his roommate. With, um, you know, his, his waking passions That's fine This has been forensically dissected by, by Dutch cycling media It's oh, quite yes. funny There was like an hour by hour uh, Let's unpack exactly what happened here Very <laughs> very serious, very very heavy um, And it is serious But I, I think the way that they unpacked it was a little bit silly uh, So between 10.40pm and 10.50pm uh, He waited for the girl There are two teenage girls uh, they, they have been knocking on his door and running away. I don't know if they're fans. I, that, that has not been tended as evidence. They Walvenert's cousins. <laughs> uh, members of the Belgian entourage, junior,
3: <laughs> junior members,
1: of, members of the Belgian entourage. That's they, not true, by the way. We right. should be clear. <laughs> uh, that's grossly defam- defamatory of the Belgian team. I'm sorry. So just some, just some kids. So they were knocking and running away and they were doing that on the door of room 930. And between 10.40 and 10.50pm, Matthew Vanderpoel had enough. According to a police statement of facts, he opened the door and chased them into the room opposite. The 14-year-old uh, allegedly ran into a corner and sat down covering her face while Vanderpoel grabbed her by both of her arms, squeezing them and pushing her against a wall while yelling at her. Uh, that that girl suffered a minor carpet burn graze to her right elbow and redness to her forearm. And the 13 year old, her sister, was in the same room while the cyclist was assaulting the other girl, attempted to leave the room. Vanderpool walked over and pushed her against a wall using two open hands, which caused her to fall to the ground. Uh, police were called, and Matthew Vanderpool spent up until about 4 a.m. in a police station, in having been, having been charged sort of. with assault, and then started the race, dropped out within 30 kilometers K in, I think yeah and had a court date yesterday where he was uh, convicted. convicted convicted yeah convicted, convicted of, the of the common assault, common assault. Um, paid 1000 euro, uh, euro?
0: 1000 euros or, or no 1000 Aussie dollars. dollars for so 7 one euros of the girls. <laughs> yeah 1000 Aussie dollars for one of the girls and 500 for the other
1: and then uh, left Australia that day and he is not allowed to return for three years. I can't imagine he'll be too disappointed about that. The two down or- organizers on the other hand, <laughs> <It> might be. <laughs> yeah. So this, this was obviously like the, the biggest story of the weekend, a, a big, big kerfuffle uh, which led to a lot of people coming out with some hot takes. I've got a hot take which is even if you're annoyed about being woken up, probably don't assault children. That's my hot take, but uh, <laughs> others others have theirs. <laughs> yeah, I think
2: we can probably get behind that. That's a fair analysis of the situation. Okay. Um,
0: just how annoying would they have to be before a child assault is acceptable in the eyes of the child m- uh, <laughs> I think that's just like a,
2: a hard line.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think there are other avenues he could have taken. Um, maybe could have called hotel reception. Would have been good first yeah, point of call. A start. Uh, maybe calling someone from his team to, I don't know, stop them or find out where the parents were or- Pop a few in o- some earplugs. Yeah. Yeah. A few options there. Get on with your night. <laughs> 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 Go yeah. and sleep on the floor that you're assigned to. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody really covered themselves in glory uh, on that particular <laughs> evening.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm I I'm not arguing that it would be quite annoying. I I would be annoyed if I was repeatedly woken by- giggling 13 and 14 year old girls in the, in the hallway outside my hotel room. And I think most people would. Yep. That in itself is (laughs) not the problem. (laughs) Don't hit the kids. (laughs) Uh, The crux of the issue is probably don't assault uh, children. Mm. Yeah. Being annoying
0: is not a criminal offense. As far as I know. (laughs) (laughs) We have some weird laws, but I don't think that's one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the response to this has been very strange. Um, Also somewhat predictable, I I would say. Uh, Apparently, fans of Vanderpool are flooding the Google and Yelp reviews of this hotel to give it one star and negative comments. Um, Which, while very funny, is probably also not the best response. My my initial instinct of that was was both of those things.
1: I thought, that is brilliant. I love some Google review gear. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's honestly one of my favorite things, just looking up Google reviews for places that I have never been and just driving past. Oh, I wonder what that <laughs> fake plant shop is like. And then finding out somebody's annoyed about <laughs> about the sign on their door or something. <laughs> like, that's great. That is the kind of thing that uh, gets me through the day. But I think that thousands of Dutch cycling fans giving a one-star review to a (laughs) Novotel. Yeah. So, (laughs) noise complaints
2: is uh, is a bit much. Somewhere in a back office, there's a marketing person just rocking back and forth with their head in their hands going, what are we going to do now? It's ruined. It's ruined. We are never having the Dutch national
0: team here again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The whole thing. The whole thing. Maybe don't run around knocking on the doors of people racing worlds tomorrow and then maybe don't push children. I think these are two good rules by which we can all live. And I think maybe we leave it there. I
2: do find it a bit strange that he withdrew from the race as early as he did. He must have been pretty shaken up by the whole thing, I suppose. But I mean, he,
0: might, he, like, he might have no idea. Like, am I going to jail? Like, am I,
2: you know, he just, doesn't know. It seems strange to me that a guy who's as competitive as he is would start the race and then just be like, all right, 30K in, I'm done. Like, yeah. wouldn't you go a little bit further? I mean, we don't know how he was doing, obviously. It just that seemed a bit odd to me that's all It's probably still waking up at that point just yeah. autopilot
0: and then perhaps the enormity of it all sank, sank in yeah I would imagine that the, the, the team was probably like you should just start and see how you feel and he yeah. started and saw how he felt and he felt like crap I was going to say a different word but we have we, we have might see- listening
2: I feel like burying yourself in a bike race is a pretty good way to forget about just about anything really Yeah, yeah anyway but at
1: the same it's time, like you sort of like. Mental... It would also be
2: a terrible redemption arc if you won, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
0: That's that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just the whole thing was bad. Just it was bad. You know. Don't let your children knock on doors. Don't punch children. Uh, both of those things are should be pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. We're going to wrap up today's episode with, well, just some informal awards. You know, biggest surprise, best finish, most dominant. Let's start with the biggest surprise, Matt. What, what was the, of all the races, and there were a lot of them last week. There were was a lot the of biggest, races. What was the biggest surprise? I think this is a pretty obvious one. Uh, Tobias
2: Foss in the men's, elite men's time trial. Um, out of absolutely nowhere, winning the world title. Uh, I feel
0: bad for Stefan Kung.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, pretty heartbreaking. He's like finally
0: put it together, and then this random dude yeah. beats him. The, the <laughs> day that he
2: manages to beat Gunnar and manages to beat everybody else that probably on paper could have beaten him, and then some bloke pops up out of nowhere and beats him. That you know, Foss is a, a very good time trialist. Some bloke, he's very. He's a very good biker. He's a very good time trial. But it wasn't but in the conversation. It was not prior. in the conversation. I think Remco's uh, Remco Van der Poel's response to it. You probably would have seen the the gif, or the video of that now of Remco being very surprised uh, when he learned who had won the race. Um, but yeah, that's, that's not to take anything away from Foss. You, you do not win a world title by being a bad bike racer. He, he rode incredibly well. Can I add as a silver medal in that uh, most
1: surprising race, Annemiek van Vleuten winning the women's road race with a broken elbow. <laughs> After being off the back like a K earlier. Yeah, it was just nowhere in the conversation and then just blasted her way
2: through the, the last lap to to take the win yep best finish I had that race as the best finish the, that was pretty the, good the elite women's finish just the way that she joined the back of that group and surged past the, the aerial shot of that moment where she's not in frame and then suddenly she's most of the way through the frame no one's reacted and she's going on to win she's out of the saddle for basically the first time in the day uh just completely out of nowhere. Yeah, very remarkable finish. Um, I did have a, an honorable mention in that one, which was the uh, junior men's road race. The, the two-up battle between uh, Herzog and Morgado was amazing. And I encourage anybody that hasn't seen that finish to go and watch the last 10K of that. That was a, a, just a brilliant bike
0: race. Most dominant? I've got it. I mean, this one's clear for me anyway. Yeah, who are you going to say? I was going to say Backstead. How how, how do you argue? And and, and to be perfectly honest, like the most dominant is almost always going to come from the junior races because somebody when the level is sort of that much lower because they're 18, 17 years old, somebody is going to be the next Remco Venepole or Zoe Bagstead or, or whatever. Uh, And so it's not too surprising. Like I think about even like, like the American Quinn Simmons had a, Sort of similarly dominant, like I'm just gonna ride away from all of you, kind of kind of synth kind of thing. But nonetheless, doesn't really make it any less dominant. <laughs> and it was incredibly impressive.
2: The way she did it was amazing. So she said in her press conference afterwards that the plan was always for her to go solo, as it would be if you're easily the strongest rider in the field. But she had a moment over the top of the first climb where she kind of got a bit of a gap, looked around, was like, eh, all right. Now's the moment. It just happened that was 10Ks into the race and she had 57K left to go on her own and she just rode away. And
0: uh, I think I mean, she She came as close as you can come to accidentally winning a world championship. <laughs> like, didn't intentionally attack. Was just like, oh. All right. Turns out I'm it's faster than all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to go do my own thing now. And to do that is the big favorite as
2: well. I think, you know, there was a sense of pressure on her. I think everyone would have been very surprised had she not won. And to take the race uh, take the race on like that, I think shows quite a bit of courage, you know, to attack that far out. It would have been a lot more safe to attack later on. Um, but she just went for it and won by more than two minutes. So yeah, that's how you do
0: it. Congrats to her. So next year, moving on from, from this year's World Championships already, next year, the Worlds is in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, Glasgow? 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 I don't know how Yeah, guys get a Scottish accent. Definitely not no, Glasgow. No, no, none, Glasgow of, none of those. g Glasgow. G-Town. Glasgow. Glasgow.
2: Glasgow? <laughs> Apologies to anybody that's Scottish listening to this.
1: Uh, <laughs> we've, done so, we've done a lot of accent work, work in the last it's week. It's been all bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need kit here. That's all we need. Um, in Scotland. Mm. Uh... It's the super worlds. Mm. And that means that it's going to be not just the road worlds. It's going to also be the mountain bike worlds and the para worlds and a whole bunch of other worlds. Artistic cycling worlds. Artistic cycling worlds. Oh my goodness.
1: This is one that I would actually like to go to. Oh yeah. (laughs) Not holding my breath, but I would like to go and see some artistic cycling. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun.
0: That sounds like a good assignment for you already for next year. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, It sounds like it's going to be a great course. And the fact that we're getting all of these different events all in one go is pretty damn cool, I think.
2: One of the things I'm most looking forward to is seeing the riders that do a bunch of different disciplines. Mm. So the European Championships a few months ago had a similar setup where they had a bunch of different disciplines. And we saw Elia Viviani going and doing the uh the road race during the day and then went and did some track events at night and won a, a uh, European title in the, in the evening might be cool to see if there's some people doing stuff like that um i don't know how much crossover there is between artistic cycling and road racing zero road cycling horribly, is my guess harsh, <laughs> <laughs> but you never know it would be cool if there are some people doing mountain biking and and you know road wars like a kee I mean, for example
0: peaked, right like in theory yeah. you should you you could do both uh if you're Tom Pidcock. Yeah, if you're Tom Pidcock, go 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 do both. That'd be kind of neat. <laughs> Three is Cyclocross
2: included as well? No. That won't be all it.
0: No, because it's the wrong time of year for Cross. Yeah. I believe it's not included. Uh, I haven't looked at the list, but I thought he could do a 3 peat in one one week. I don't in think one week. so. Because <laughs> yeah, like no, be Cross Worlds is always in what late January, early February. So anyway, we're excited for that. Uh we'll we'll talk a lot more about that obviously as we as we get a lot closer to it but we did just want to highlight the fact that for those out there who are not aware that next year is that first of the of the the super worlds Mm. and and everything getting stuck together
2: and they're happening every four years and the next one 2027 will be in haute Savoie, region of france Mm. which hopefully fingers crossed will mean we get a hilly course
0: could be yeah that's that's where i lived in france and and it could it could absolutely be a monster if they wanted it to How be. How good would that be? Have a, be an uphill finish? An actual mountain climb to finish mm, World's Road Race? I don't think so.
2: No, no probably no, not going to
0: happen. Be cool though. <laughs> It'll be so similar to uh, like, you know, you can do a Tour de France stage. Any of the Tour de France stages that start and or finish in Albertville, for example. Uh, that's all sort of the same region. It's just a bit south. Anyway, that'll be cool as well. I think... That wraps up our world's podcast coverage. Uh, another thank you to everybody, every single one of you that came up and said hello over the last week and there were dozens, many felt like everywhere we went, we were, we were, we were chatting with folks uh, and it was just really cool. We, we appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. It was unsurprising. I should not unsurprising. It was surprising. Uh, and I think that's why we keep mentioning it. It's like, yeah, it's just great. Great to meet you all. I think we're out of things to talk about in today's episode. Uh, I'm flying back to the US later this week. And that means we'll be back with sort of the regular, mostly US European crew. So another very large thank you to our whole Aussie crew including you two uh, and Andy who's sitting over here quietly and Dave Rome who we left in Sydney it was fantastic to be back here and fantastic to have all you guys on the podcast uh, and doing the live shows and things like that um, I very much enjoyed it and I really hope I can come back for TVU all right we'll be back next week thanks everybody bye bye see ya bye